welcome to This Week in Video Games episode 70. My name's Tom Kershaw and this is a podcast all about the world of video games. So this week I've been playing Super Mario 3D World and Bowser's Fury and the first is a port from the Wii U and one of the most fun co-op games I've played in some time and the other is an all new outing for Mario. I've also been checking out Valheim, a new survival crafting game from Iron Gate Studios that's currently taking the world by storm. I also checked out the Nintendo Direct this week and I'll give you my thoughts on Nintendo's latest news. It's a busy show as always, so let's get to it. Welcome to the show everyone, I hope you're well and you're having a good week. And today is Zelda's 35th anniversary, so happy Zelda Day. To celebrate, I pre-ordered Skyward Sword, and to be honest, it wasn't exactly the type of Zelda celebration I was anticipating from Nintendo, but I'll get into much more of that first up in the show when I dive into the latest Nintendo Direct news that we had this week. Zelda was definitely the first series that I fell in love with as a kid, playing through Zelda 2 with my dad on the NES, then one summer with a good old buddy playing Link to the Past to completion. I remember taking the day off school for Ocarina of Time, and then in more recent years, the day off work for Breath of the Wild. And given it's the 35th anniversary of Zelda, I'd love to go back and rediscover the back catalogue. You know, we've got so much available on Nintendo Switch now with the NES and the SNES libraries. We've got the original, Legend of Zelda, Zelda 2. We've got A Link to the Past, Link's Awakening Remake. We've got Breath of the Wild, and soon we're going to have Skyward Sword. So I'm planning on doing a playthrough of the original Legend of Zelda very soon and let me know down in the comments or contact me through patreon.com forward slash this week in video games and we're going to set up a game club discussion. Well that is enough intro waffle from me so let's get into what I've been playing this week. Well this week I've been playing Super Mario 3D World and Bowser's Fury and I missed this the first time round plus me and the missus have been looking for a good co-op game. And this one came along at just the right time, and I'll get into my review of the game after my thoughts about the Nintendo Direct. I've also been checking out Valheim, the new hit survival game in early access from Iron Gate Studios. And finally this week, I've been playing a fair amount of Destiny 2 Season of the Chosen, and I wanted to let you know about five reasons that you should play this season. So Destiny has lost a lot of its audience since the launch of Beyond Light, but Bungie have done a great job of finding the fun this season, and I'm going to get into that later on in the show. All of that, plus the all-platform charts and what's coming out in the next few weeks, and you can check out the timestamps down below if you want to jump to a specific section of the podcast. Well, first up this week, let's get into my thoughts of the Nintendo Direct that we had this week. Well, Nintendo returned this week with the first Nintendo Direct proper since September the 4th, 2019. And the hype scale was absolutely through the roof and the internet was bursting at the seams with anticipation. But could Nintendo live up to the hype? Unfortunately not, but there were still some good announcements in there which are worth getting excited about. Well, Xenoblade Chronicles 2 characters Pyra and Mithra were announced as the next characters coming to Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. We had Mario Golf Super Rush was announced and The Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword HD is coming to Nintendo Switch and, in a big surprise announcement at the end, Splatoon 3 is in development and is on course for a 2022 release. So there was a mention of Breath of the Wild 2 but not in the way that we wanted. 
Eiji Inuma came out and he said there wouldn't be any news of Breath of the Wild 2 and he even apologised. He did say that development was going really well and there would be more to share on Breath of the Wild 2 later on in the year. But the moment that Inuma came on the screen, I think everyone sat up from their seats and thought, yes, this is it. You know, up until that point, the direct had been okay to a little bit underwhelming, to be honest. But now Inuma was here, he was going to blow us all out the water, but that moment just never came. Instead, Skyward Sword was announced, and this time they've modified the controls to allow us to play with buttons, as well as the motion controls on the Switch. Now, I was surprised that we didn't hear anything about Twilight Princess HD and Wind Waker HD. You know, Nintendo literally has those games ready to go, having already ported them to Wii U, and you would imagine that porting to Nintendo Switch would be relatively straightforward, compared to something like Skyward Sword, which needed significant rework based on the control scheme. The Legend of Zelda's 35th anniversary is today, Sunday the 21st of February 2021, and fans had been hoping for a little bit more of a package, instead it seems to be passing us by with little mention. Skyward Sword shouldn't be sniffed at though, it's a good game in its own right. It didn't really get a great shot the first time round on the Wii, and perhaps that game was killed by its own hype. And every game that followed Ocarina of Time was always under a huge amount of pressure to be better, and that didn't really happen from a universal point of view until Breath of the Wild in 2017. Wind Waker was a fantastic game, although some fans revolted over the graphics. Twilight Princess had fans in tears at that famous E3 trailer, and Skyward Sword just kind of flopped. There's plenty of pressure on Breath of the Wild 2 to top one of the best games of all time. Well, Nintendo tends to have shortened the preview to release Cycle 4 games, so previously the gameplay demos and footage were shown and then had fans waiting years for release. So this has shortened in recent years with Luigi's Mansion 3 and Animal Crossing New Horizons as good examples, and other recent hits gave shorter preview periods when compared to something like Breath of the Wild 2 and Metroid Prime 4, which were teased years ago, and now every direct hype level shoot up through the roof and come down in a crescendo of anger when Nintendo doesn't give us what we want. But maybe that Breath of the Wild 2 trailer 2019's E3 was a mistake. Anyways, back to the most recent direct and more exciting news about upcoming releases. So we've got Splatoon 3, it was announced in a rather surprising announcement, and speculation for Splatoon had gone rather flat since Nintendo announced they were stopping support for number 2. And at first, it looked like some kind of expansion or DLC for Splatoon 2, but a sequel does make sense. Mario Golf Super Rush was one of the more exciting announcements of the show, with Mario and the gang coming back to their golf roots. It's got motion controls as well, and your me can play through a single-player story mode campaign, and Mario Golf Super Rush is coming on the 25th of June 2021. Talking to Mario, there's a 35th anniversary bundle coming to Animal Crossing New Horizons, which included clothes, question blocks, and also warp pipes for your island. Metopia was also announced, which is the next adventure from the former 3DS game, coming on the 21st of May, and remakes of Famicom Detective Club titles The Missing Heir and The Girl Who Stands Behind will launch as a bundle on the 14th of May 2021. There were loads of third-party titles announced too, with Fall Guys coming in the summer and The Outer Wilds coming later on in 2021. And the Outer Wilds is an incredible game, which was one of the best in 2019. Annapurna Interactive also announced Neon White in a stylish first-person card battle game with demons in heaven. I was confused, but it looks really interesting and Annapurna Interactive always put out great titles. In one of the more low-key exciting announcements of the night was Project Triangle Strategy, an SRPG follow-up to Octopath Traveler, due out in 2022. 
So this is an HD 2D game, once again with 2D pixel art sprites on an isometric 3D environment. It looks really cool, and a demo is available right now on Nintendo eShop, and this one looks like it could be a spiritual successor to Final Fantasy Tactics, and has a large portion of the internet very excited indeed, myself included. So there were some other announcements, including Star Wars Hunters from Zynga, which sounds absolutely awful, to be honest. We've got a dodgeball game called Knockout City. Apex Legends is coming on March the 9th. And we also had new gameplay for Monster Hunter Rise, which is releasing on the 26th of March. But for me, I think the Nintendo Direct was probably a 6 out of 10. And I am really happy to see Skyward Sword coming to Nintendo Switch. And hopefully that one will find a new audience. It's a slow burner for sure, but it does have some of the best dungeons in the whole Zelda series but there's also some barriers in there which are going to frustrate. You know, if Breath of the Wild is your first and only Zelda experience, then Skyward Sword may be a hard pill to swallow. I'm disappointed we haven't seen anything for the 35th Zelda anniversary yet, and hopefully something will be coming later on this year, although I very much doubt Breath of the Wild 2 is now going to be coming to Nintendo Switch this year. Maybe 2022 or 2023 is a much more realistic time window. I am excited about Project Triangle Strategy and Mario Golf. I'm definitely going to be jumping into Mario Golf for sure. And I've already downloaded the demo for Project Triangle Strategy. It's good to see The Outer Worlds coming to Nintendo Switch and hopefully that one will find a new audience. It's a fantastic game that you just have to play. It's a very cool concept when you're in a 22 minute time loop trying to figure out why the sun is exploding and you've got a space sandbox to explore and gather clues. Well, that is it for my roundup of the Nintendo Direct this week. And let me know what you think by contacting us on patreon.com forward slash This Week in Video Games. Send in your questions, your comments, and I'll read them out on the show. And talking of Patreon, if you're enjoying This Week in Video Games content, check out patreon.com forward slash This Week in Video Games for benefits like joining in the community discussions on podcasts, early access and exclusive content, content voting, and also YouTube and podcast shoutouts. There's also a merch store which includes all kinds of other This Week in Video Games paraphernalia, and watching the videos and interacting down there in the comments is always more than enough. But if you want to support This Week in Video Games further, then you can through Patreon and Teespring. Check out the links down below for more information. Well, that's it for my shameless Patreon plug. But next up, let's have a look at Super Mario 3D World and Bowser's Fury. So the final entry in Super Mario's 35th anniversary celebration is here in Super Mario 3D World and Bowser's Fury. Super Mario 3D World is the latest game to be ported from the Wii U to Nintendo Switch, given its original release back in 2013. And Bowser's Fury is a brand new short title to accompany Super Mario 3D World, and these two games offer different sides of the Mario series style. Many people, myself included, missed out on Super Mario 3D World when it first came out nearly eight years ago. The title has been given a new lease of life and a massive audience with Nintendo Switch owners and it's already shot to the third best-selling Super Mario title on Nintendo Switch ahead of Super Mario Maker 2 and also new Super Mario Bros. Deluxe but behind Super Mario Odyssey and Super Mario 3D All-Stars. Super Mario 3D World is pretty much a straight port from the Wii U, albeit a little bit faster. So players can play through the 90 plus levels of platforming, exploration and secrets, and players can play on their own or in full co-op. 
The sheer number of ideas that are packed into this game is something to behold, from nostalgic platforming similar to the 2D Mario games, to riding the back of a dinosaur on the water, and also chasing shadows in one very clever level. The main new mechanic found in 3D World is the ability to turn into a cat, which allows you to climb walls and attack with your paws. Super Mario 3D World often feels like it's fan-made with a number of nods back to previous Super Mario titles. For example, you got the Fire Flower, the Super Leaf and many more old classic power-ups to be found. Players can be Mario, Luigi, Princess Peach or Toad in another nod back to Super Mario Bros. 2 and at any time another player can jump in and you can play through levels in full co-op mode. And I played much of the game in co-op with my fiancé and it was a whole lot of fun. And if you don't have someone to play with in the same location then this time Nintendo has added full online play so you can play co-op over the internet with friends or family. The co-op is a lot of fun however players can drag each other through levels and sometimes this can get a little bit frustrating. You can pick each other up and throw each other off the map but I don't recommend doing this to your significant other, it might not go down too well. The Super Mario 3D World is a lot of fun either solo or in co-op mode. There's the classic overworld from Super Mario Bros. 3 and World but this time instead of being stuck on a linear path you can simply wander off and find where you want to go. There's swimming, there's ice levels and even a level inspired by Mario Kart. 3D World is much more like the gameplay of a 2D classic Mario Brothers game like Super Mario Brothers 1 to 3. The path is linear and there's a timer and it's also very fast. So holding down the Y button on Nintendo Switch gives Mario a little speed boost. There's also a little visual indicator that he's running fast. This is much more of a return to the classic style of Mario that we've had in the past. And if you missed this one the first time round then I urge you to get hold of this title. Bowser's Fury, on the other hand, is much more in the style of the recent 3D Mario games that we've seen, like Super Mario Odyssey, Sunshine, and to a certain extent, Galaxy. Bowser's Fury isn't very long, but it's a little taster into Mario of the future. Thematically, Super Mario 3D World and Bowser's Fury are similar, with shared abilities like Mario having the ability to turn into a cat, and the Super Bell power-up and also shared enemies, like the Goombas with cat ears, the big pecking birds that fall down and try and peck you, plus the marching band enemies. However, that is kind of where the comparisons stop. The story in Bowser's Fury is that Bowser Jr. He needs your help to save his father, Bowser. So Mario initially looks pretty reluctant to help, you know, given he's been a pain in his side for about 35 years. However, after little to no convincing, Mario agrees to help. So Mario has to collect cat shines to remove the dirty goop from the cat lighthouses to save Bowser from whatever happened to him. So Mario has a 3D open map to explore across a series of little connected islands. And you can pick and choose which areas to explore and the set pieces and mini puzzles here are really, really fantastic. The objective here is to collect the cat shines and open up the giant bell power-up in the middle of the map. And that's going to help you with your battles against Mega Bowser, who's stalking from the sidelines. So Bowser Jr. is your slightly reluctant sidekick in the game, and you can also play two-player two, similar to Super Mario Odyssey, where one player takes on the role of a supporting character, rather than full-blown co-op like Super Mario 3D World. Bowser's Fury is much more of a 3D Mario adventure with an open world that you can explore and on occasions it's going to start to rain and then a massive angry Bowser is going to pop in from the background and start attacking the area with fireballs and other projectiles too. Bowser has probably never been this intimidating in a Mario game. Once you collect enough cat shines you're going to then be able to grab the power up in the middle of the map and grow to a massive size too and you'll be able to battle Bowser one on one. 
The gameplay is really, really fun, and there's a lot of connections here to Super Mario 3D World from a stylistic point of view, but also some of the gameplay elements too. And it feels much more like Super Mario Odyssey, albeit without the use of Cappy. So Plessy makes a return from 3D World to help you swim and complete some tasks in the water, and Bowser interrupting can be a little bit annoying at times, especially if you're high up you may get knocked down all the way to the lower levels. But it's a small thing when compared to the overall fun you're going to have with Bowser's Fury. Super Mario 3D World alone was enough to convince me to get this package, given I'd missed it the first time round. I highly recommend this game if you haven't played it, and I also recommend playing in co-op. For me, it was great to play through with the misses. You know, we've tried other co-op games before, but they've never felt quite as good as this one. Bowser's Fury is a short but sweet outing for Mario. It kind of feels like something that was created in a short space of time in lockdown by Nintendo to give to its audience as an incentive to buy 3D World. And I'm definitely not against Nintendo experimenting with these shorter titles, and there's some really nice innovative gameplay moments here too. So the game was developed by Nintendo, it's available for Nintendo Switch, and it was originally released on the 12th of February 2021. Well that's it for my review of Super Mario 3D World plus Bowser's Fury. Next up, let's have a look at the all-platform charts. Well number 10 this week is Assassin's Creed Valhalla. That's up two places from last week's number 12. And number 9 this week, it's Super Mario 3D All-Stars, staying steady there at number 9. And number 8 this week, it's FIFA 21, up two places from last week's number 10. And number 7 this week, it's Just Dance 2021, up one place from last week's number 8. And number 6 this week, down two places from last week's number 4, it's Grand Theft Auto 5. And number 5 this week, it's Minecraft, up one place from last week's number 6. And number 4 this week, it's Ring Fit Adventure, up three places from last week's number 7. And staying steady at number 3, it's Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War. And staying steady at number 2, it's Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. And Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, unbelievable. It's been in the charts for about two years and still in there. At number 1, it's Animal Crossing New Horizons. And again, that is another massive hit for Nintendo, being in the charts for nearly a year. Well, that is it for the all-platform charts this week. Next up, let's have a look at Valheim. So Valheim is the latest indie hit to blow up on Steam following the likes of Fall Guys and Among Us in recent months. Valheim is a new survival game currently in early access that came out at the start of February 2021 and it's taking the world by storm. So activities, they range from building a camp, hunting, fighting wild boar and also world bosses too. And there's something really approachable about Valheim and players are flocking to it in droves. Valheim can be played with up to nine other friends on a server, and it's probably best enjoyed with between two to five other people. When the game first starts, you start out with pretty much nothing, and you start off simply by cutting down trees and punching poor animals to death to turn them into a tasty dinner later on. One of the first things you'll notice about Valheim is the stylized graphics. It's similar to an Xbox 360 era type of game, but in a good nostalgic way. There is a certain amount of nostalgia for open world MMOs back then and Valheim does a great job of tapping into that and reminding us of days gone by. It's not quite as low fidelity as Minecraft but it's a few levels up. But even with its lo-fi style it's a beautiful looking game with atmosphere, sunsets and a wide array of scenery and creatures. 
In the early game, you start out simple. You build up your tools and your home base. You cook, you hunt, and you generally settle into your surroundings. Later on, when you're feeling confident, you can venture out by boat, which you make yourself. And it gives the game a sense of scale and wonder. You know, there's many other games like this out there, but Valheim seems to have captured the imagination of many. And one of the reasons for that is because of the world boss battles. You know, these are similar to Dark Souls fights where you encounter an unusually large enemy wandering about between the trees. So the trolls that you come across in-game can be a terrifying experience. They're big and they want to smash you into tiny pieces, but these world bosses are a lot of fun when encountered with friends. Valheim's procedurally generated worlds have a habit of creating compelling storylines. It looks simple from the outside looking in, but it does things very, very well. It's easy to create an instance with friends, the crafting system is straightforward but has depth, and the hunting and the boss battles are really fun. It's really easy to team up with friends and the whole experience just feels rather polished, which is surprising for a game that's still in early access. So this one was announced at the PC Gaming Show in 2020 and went by with fairly little mention. The team behind the game is a small five-person team in the form of Iron Gate Studio, based out of Sweden. And the game has had an incredible start to its life, and no doubt the small team behind the game will expand, given its popularity. And it's going to be interesting to see whether Valheim can sustain the momentum it's had until now. So Fall Guys had a similar explosive start back in the summer of 2020, but failed to maintain its position as Among Us came along and took over the top spot. Valheim is doing a similar job at the moment, already selling 3 million units on Steam since its launch on February the 2nd, 2021. This early access version of Valheim has got 5 bosses to encounter at the moment, with 9 planned in total for the final game. You've also got dungeons full of monsters and secrets, you know, it really feels like Legend of Zelda, Skyrim and Dark Souls all mashed together with a great social element too, so so far it's a willing formula with no sign of the pace of sales slowing down anytime soon. Much like other survival crafting games, there's a certain amount of grind to it, including collecting materials like ore or metal to craft some armour. And as you progress through the game, to reach later areas, you're going to need environmental consumables to help you survive, like the frost or poison, and this does take a fair amount of preparation. And the amount of preparation does serve as a nice build-up to going out on an expedition and motivates you to get things right. But it also can be time-consuming and a little bit grindy, so do be aware of that. Cooking and recipes come into play too, with stamina and health related to the food that you eat. So this means finding new ingredients in the environment and trying out new recipes, as well as trying to have the best diet possible. So you've got to remember to eat your vegetables as combinations of food will provide some nice benefits. When you're not out there hunting, fighting a world boss or cooking, you can build your own little village to hang out in. You've got an array of tools to manipulate the environment around you, but if you're used to something like Minecraft, then this does have a little way to go. But that is exactly what early access is for. You know, base building has its moments and you can create yourself a nice little Viking abode to chill in at the end of a hard day. The amount of items at the moment to build with is a little bit limiting. However, it all looks like it's come from a world inhabited by Vikings. And I'm sure Iron Gate Studios is gathering tons of feedback and they'll add some more options in the final version of the game. So Valheim came out of the blue for me and it's had a really, really strong start. The world that you inhabit is a beautiful one and the adventures that Valheim throws at you, they're really fun, unique and immersive. The game is better with friends but offers a nice chilled experience if you want to fly in solo and visually it's got its own style which harks back to the MMOs of days gone by and Valheim's mechanics, 
may be a collection of simple activities, but when you put them together this well and they simply work as they do, then this adds up to a very satisfying experience. So you can check out Valheim on Steam in early access now. So the developer is Irongate Studio, it's available on PC via Steam, and it was originally released on the 2nd of February 2021. Well that's it for my first impressions of Valheim, and next up, I want to talk to you a little bit about Destiny 2, and for those of you who watch my content on YouTube, you'll know I'm a massive Destiny 2 fan, and in the last couple of weeks we've had Season of the Chosen. So up until Season of the Chosen, Bungie had been having a bit of a rough time with feedback from the audience, but Bungie have done a whole load of things right for Season of the Chosen, and I wanted to talk to you about five reasons why I think you should jump in to Season of the Chosen. Season of the Chosen has got off to a very, very strong start, and Destiny feels like it's in the best place it's been for a long time due to a combination of factors. Today I'm going to look into five reasons why you must play Season of the Chosen and why it's worth the $10 for the season pass. So before we dive into why I think you should play Season of the Chosen, it's worth looking back at Beyond Light and Season of the Hunt and its relatively rocky launch. The sense in the community has been frustration, sometimes veering into outright anger since the launch of Beyond Light. This has been a combination of things including the addition of stasis, the lack of support for the PvP community, destinations being removed and put into the content vault, and also the sunsetting of weapons. Beyond Light was always going to be rough with so much content going away, but it could be seen as some kind of soft reset for the Destiny 2 franchise. So with that, let's jump into the five reasons why I think you should play Season of the Chosen. And at number five, we've got the story. So Beyond Light and Season of the Hunt may have been light on loot and things to chase, but the story was rather good. This season, the story has continued along the right path with Keitel, Callus's daughter and the leader of the Cabal. She's arrived in the solar system looking for a partnership with the Guardians to battle the Hive and the Darkness. However, she's asked a little bit too much of the Vanguard and Zavala by asking him to bow to form the Alliance. Zavala says no rather emphatically, and the battle begins on many fronts, including Europa, the Cosmodrome and Nessus in the Battlegrounds activity. We don't know exactly where the story is going here, but it's likely we're going to align with Kaito at the end of the season by proving our power to her through the ongoing battles against her warlords. Another very interesting story strand is that of Crow. So Cyrus has taken him under his wing and he's brought him back into the last city and he's currently hanging out in the helm. So Crow has been assigned the task of a scout hunter out there in the field and last season he was under the control of Spider on the Tangled Shore working as a makeshift enforcer but we won his freedom by killing the High Celebrant. At the moment he's hanging out in the helm looking pretty shady in his mask to conceal his face and this is all building to some kind of confrontation between him, Zavala and Amanda Holiday over the death of Cade Six, the former Hunter Vanguard. How is Zavala going to react when he finds out? Only time will tell. We've also got a large cast of characters doing voice work this season including the previously mentioned Zavala, Crow, Amanda Holiday, Osiris and also the surprise addition of Lord Saladin. Saladin has been brought in to lead the offensive against the Cabal in the battlegrounds and he's been brought in from the relative cold having played a small part over the past few years as the Iron Banner vendor. He's now got more of a central role and it's good to hear some of the banter between him and the other cast. 
But let me know down in the comments what you think of the story and where we're going with that Crow storyline. So number four, we've got the Battlegrounds, and Battlegrounds is a new seasonal activity this season, which ties into the story. So we're fighting the Cabal in the three-player fire team, and the game mode is much like a mini-strike, where we're placed onto a planet or a moon, and then we have to go through three phases of enemy waves, and then fight a boss at the end. So this is much more satisfying than Wrathborn Hunts. The hunts from last season felt like they were over with really quickly, and they didn't seem very challenging and they were pretty boring to boot. One major improvement with Battlegrounds is the enemy density, so Cabal just keep coming and coming in wave after wave, and you do feel overwhelmed at times. There's an element of danger at any moment with the Cabal drop pods where they crush you, and I'm sure I'm not the only one who's been crushed many times by one of those falling drop pods. So there were two at the start of the season on Nessus and Europa, and we've recently had one more added to the Cosmodrome, which adds Hive into the mix. I really like this type of big open space against enemies. There's something very satisfying about battling the Cabal up a hill on Nessus, beating them back and ultimately taking down that boss. The mechanics in Battlegrounds is pretty light. You drop in, you've got to defeat three waves, and at one point you have to destroy generators with orbs, but don't get too close as you'll blow yourself up. The activity reminds me of Escalation Protocol, which was one of the better horde modes in Destiny 2 since they've come up with over the years. So, so far so good with Battlegrounds, and I'm sure as the season goes on the activity will get repetitive. However, one thing I do like about this activity is the chance to try out new builds with exotic weapons, subclasses and armour. The Contact Public event was really good for this in Season of Arrivals a few seasons ago, but Wrathborn Hunts didn't seem worth it for builds as they were so easy. So at number 3 we've got the loot, and there's plenty to chase this season including 35 new and returning weapons some excellent new exotic weapons and some brand new perks. And all of this adds up to a valuable loot chase, something which Destiny has been missing for quite some time. We've also got the Umbral Engram system added into the game as a permanent fixture, and a bunch of catalysts added to the game for weapon quests that have been added into the Destiny content vault. One of the best examples of this is probably Trials of Osiris weapons. So we've got three new weapons to chase, albeit one of them a returning weapon. However, that returning weapon is the Messenger, and it's got Desperado on it, available in the loot pool. So I managed to get a drop of Desperado and Rapid Hit on my second drop last week, and that was motivating enough to head into Trials and get a couple of drops on two characters. And that's more Trials I've played since the return of the game mode approximately a year ago. The Messenger with Desperado is good, if not better, than any Pursuit weapon we've seen over the past few seasons in Destiny 2, and it's something for the PvP community to chase. There are other great new weapons as part of the playlist, including brand new weapons for Battlegrounds, including Far Future, Code Duello, Imperial Needle, and Extraordinary Rendition. We've got a new Pursuit weapon, including Salvager's Salvo, a new Energy Breach Loading Grenade Launcher, and a suite of playlist weapons to chase too. Gambit, Strikes and Crucible have got new weapons including Bottom Dollar, a new Energy 120 hand cannon from Gambit, Crucible's got Frozen Orbit and in Nightfalls we've got the Palindrome, Shadow Price and Swarm as well as Royal Entry. We've got new perks including Lasting Impression for Rocket Launchers alongside a 30% increase in damage for Rockets too. Frenzy is another great new perk and these new perks make the chase for loot much more appealing and the weapons more effective. So the loot chase has seen a remarkable improvement in Season of the Chosen when compared to Season of the Hunt. We're still playing the same activities that we've done for years, yet the rewards seem worth it. 
But let me know down in the comments what loot you're chasing this season and what god rolls you've already got. So at number 2 we've got Nightfalls and I'm grinding Nightfalls again like I did in Destiny 1. I haven't done that for the duration of Destiny 2's lifespan. In the first week we had the return of Sepix Prime and the old D1 strike. It's a long one for sure but it's a very satisfying one and was really fun to run through. We've also got the returning weapons in the Palindrome, Swarm and Shadow Price, although the drop rates do seem pretty low. I don't mind that so much though because it motivates me to go in there again and again. Now, I did manage to get a Shadow Price in the first week and I'm looking forward to jumping again this week to try and get a Palindrome to drop. And I haven't enjoyed running strikes this much for a long time. I'm only running 1270 Hero Nightfalls at the moment, but maybe for the first time I'm going to go after the Grandmaster Nightfalls when they come out and try for that Conqueror title. I'm having that much fun. And the number one reason to jump into Season of the Chosen is the exotic quest and Dead Man's Tale. So there's four good reasons I've already spoken about in Season of the Chosen, but this is the number one reason for me, and that is the new exotic quest called Presage. This is Bungie at their best with an awesome exotic weapon and an amazing quest to go along with it. This week at Reset we had a new secret area put into the arms dealer strike, which was exciting in itself, but this led to the discovery of a distress signal coming from the Cabal ship near the Tangled Shore. So I did the exotic mission solo and blind, and I think that's probably the best way to go in. I won't give away too many details here, but the exotic mission is one of the best exotic missions or set pieces since Destiny 2 came out. I always thought the Whisper of the Worm quest was the best, but this has to rival it. It's creepy. The sound design is amazing, the storytelling that unfolds during the mission is also a very high standard, and the mission is tough if you run it solo. There's a lot of puzzling in the mission, and there's a great exotic at the end in Dead Man's Tale. This is a new Tex Mechanica scout rifle, which is one of the best feeling and sounding weapons in the game. Before the season started, I didn't think a scout rifle was going to be one of my new favourite weapons, but this gun has certainly changed my mind. The exotic mission for me is worth the price of the season pass alone. It's Destiny 2 at its finest in terms of storytelling, weapon design, location design, puzzles and also combat too. So bravo Bungie. Well that's it for my look at Season of the Chosen and next up let's have a look at what we got coming out in the next few weeks. So we're still in a little bit of a slow period concerning game releases, so we've got a handful of titles coming out in the next few weeks. Starting on the 23rd of February, we've got Persona 5 Strikers coming out on PS4, Switch and PC. Then on the 25th, we've got Ghosts and Goblins Resurrection, that's coming out on the Switch. And we've got Hellpoint, that's also coming out on Nintendo Switch 2. On February the 26th, we've got Bravely Default 2, which looks really, really cool. And then also on the 26th, we've got Retromania Wrestling coming out on PS4, Xbox One, Switch and PC. Then on March the 2nd, we've got a couple of games. We've got Harvest Moon One World coming out on Nintendo Switch. And we've got Yakuza Like a Dragon coming out on the PS5. Well, that is it for this week's episode. And if you want to get involved in the show, get in contact through patreon.com forward slash this week in video games or check out the latest on the website. Send in your questions, your comments and your video game stories. I'm always interested in hearing from you and I'd love to read out your questions and answer them on the podcast. Well, thank you so much for watching or listening. For more This Week in Video Games content like this, subscribe on YouTube and share with a friend. To join our community, check out the Discord link in the description or you can follow me on Twitter at TWIVG Podcast. 
If you enjoyed this podcast or found it useful, liking and sharing it would really help me out. Otherwise, check out the other podcasts in the feed. Thanks again. I'll see you in the next one.